We give you the Week 9 NFL Elite Eight. We take a look at the Saturday that was college football uh, weekend uh, runaround, weekend roundup, I should say. All that, we'll sprinkle in a little other fun stuff next. Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Sake on Facebook, at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at ForFantasySakeQC at gmail.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Kavanaugh's Hilltop Bar in Rock Island. It's the place to be every Sunday this football season. Barbecue Chris will be in the house every week smoking the place up with his amazing menu or mouth-watering barbecues. Cavies will have every game on inside and outside their numerous TV screens. Plus, you can play their adult video games, and they have the loosest slots around. Check out Kavanaugh's Hilltop Bar, 1228 30th Street in Rock Island. Coming up on this pod, we have the Week 8. Week 9, NFL Elite 8, as always, uh, every Monday night, Tuesday morning, we will do our week uh, weekend uh, roundup. We'll finally dive into some stuff with the college football playoff. It's been a couple weeks, so I have some stuff I want to get off. Uh, coming up uh, also, might dab a little into the Monday night game. I don't kind of, I kind of don't want to. Here's my thoughts. The Ravens are good. Andy Dalton, at for about two minutes, screwed me in my fantasy game this week in the Tiny 10 League, and then all of a sudden he came back and got a garbage time touchdown, and we won. We also went 4-2 and two this week in the Sinister Six. Your boy is printing W's as we speak. What a bounce back we have had. We are starting to roll. We are 8-4 and four in our last two weeks after we had a couple really dumb weeks uh, that, you know, Kind of all gathered around us, but we are back. We are above 500. And listen, we have a slate this weekend that we have to, we still got to dive into and we still got to kind of figure out what we want with it. But regardless, we are starting to get hot as we kick off the home stretch of college football and we turn on to the second half of the NFL season. Cannot wait. To keep rolling. Tough week for Mac, but we're going to bounce back with him as well. But a four and two week cannot be happier. And the two games that we lost, honestly, the two sketchiest ones we threw in there, that wasn't the Chargers game. Uh, but I did have good like reasoning in my mind behind the Chargers game, and they found a way to do it. So we love that. All right, we'll come back. Let's settle down. Buckle up. You know what time it is, everybody. Let's get it.
had the weirdest Saturday night in Saturday as a whole in college football. The night slate on Saturday was probably the most rowdy we've had one in quite some time, just from a game's perspective for a singular slate, and that slate being that night slate on Saturday night. I want to start with this. Uh, Let's go to Baton Rouge, because that's where the biggest game took place on Saturday, and that is where I have probably the most opinion on a single game, a single moment, and just kind of what it means for both teams, the win for one side, the loss for another. I look at this game from a perspective of LSU as this is a step in the right direction that they never could have imagined would have came already this season where they are already winning games like this against arch rivals, and the last couple ones have been in dominant fashion. Now, you lost early in the year to FSU. Good win by FSU, but at that point now, when you think about it, they 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 lose that game to Tennessee where it's not even close, um, but you beat Ole Miss the way you do, and you beat Bama the way you do, both at home, and here's the cra- here's the kicker. I do know they have a couple NFL caliber guys. You look at Ojolari on the defensive side. You look at Keishon Boutier. They have dudes that are going to play NFL ball, but they are not by any means. Like, this is a team that ended last year with, what, between 30 and 35 scholarship players When Orgeron and those guys got fired at the end of the season, it was an absolute joke, and everybody wanted out of there, and Brian Kelly came to LSU, and already, he is already kicking ass. He beats Nick Saban, he beats Bama at home, and outcoaches them, and outplays them, and they get the job done. I think the smaller narrative is the college football playoffs. You from the West. The podcast. That scared the shit out of me. I think the <laughs> I think the smaller narrative is the college football playoff stuff. I don't think that there's really a shot for them to get in without chaos. They got to win out, and part of that would have to be beating Georgia. I, I just don't see it. That'd be really tough for me to kind of believe in that they could do that. Uh, because right now Georgia's playing really well, and it seems like they can kind of drag their A plus game to a degree out of nowhere, and we'll get to them in a moment. But when it comes to LSU, again, this is just such a great step, and the coolest thing—it's out there on social media somewhere, but I believe it was on Instagram. Brian Kelly is talking to his team in the locker room. And one of his players looked at him and said, this is why you came here. And Brian Kelly said, you're damn right. Listen, man, everybody wanted to drag this guy. Yeah, he's cringy. Yeah, he's a douche. Yeah, he's an asshole. I get it. Everyone wanted to drag me, drag him. Everyone wanted to tell me how he wasn't a good coach. Well, guess what? All he did was win at Notre fucking Dame, where you don't get four and five star players. 
Not where it matters anyway. You do get guys that you can produce to the NFL. But look at Notre Dame. Before Brian Kelly, they had not put strings together like that since before you, me, or anybody listening to the show that is under the age of 50 were born. Okay? Brian Kelly at LSU, he just beat Bama. Now, granted, it's a down Bama team, and we're going to, to a degree, and we're going to get to them in a moment. But he just beat Bama with a roster that they just put together on paper and are throwing out there and making work. When he gets guys in there, and he will, watch out because they are going to roll everybody. And I can guarantee you within the next five five years, Brian Kelly will have a national title at LSU. Like, I can firmly believe, like, I firmly, strongly believe that with all my heart. Kelly and LSU will have a title in five years because he just showed what happens. Like, we've been wondering. Everyone's like, oh, Notre Dame plays against Clemson and Bama and Georgia, and they get killed. No shit. It's four and five stars and NFL dudes versus dudes that Brian Kelly has lifted up to compete at a higher level than they should. And guess what? The playing field was even on Saturday. And guess who outcoached the opposition? And guess who won? I'm just saying, man. Brian Kelly's legit. LSU's the real deal. I'm real. I'm so happy for him. Balls of steel the way they did that entire game. Balls of steel to win. And LSU. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Congratulations. Fucking awesome job. Now let's talk about Bama. Okay. A couple things. Bryce Young did not play well. Alabama's a mess, man. Alabama's a mess. But Young made some ridiculous plays down the stretch. Again, another. this is a game of where Bryce actually didn't play great, but they almost won because he's one of the best prospects we've seen in a long time. When was the last time that a team was absolutely carried by an NFL level quarterback like this? I cannot think I cannot uh I cannot think uh of of a you know, I don't think that we have seen that to any extent over, you know, my, my recent memory. So, let me see here. What a weird... Oh. A lot of bullshit. My phone's stupid. All right. Sorry about that. So, there are... With Bama, this is where I was at. <laughs> my bad, my bad, guys. So the Bryce Young situation—he was not good on Saturday till the fourth quarter when he just made plays. But everyone has always. Here's the thing: I'm just going to get mad about real quick to get it out of the way. And this is going to tie into the Bama stuff. Trust me. 
everyone wants to tell me about all these other guys in the country and how good they are. Bryce Young carries this team. He has for two years. Anytime they have needed something, he has drug this lifeless fucking program. Yeah, lifeless for the last two years. Bryce has carried them to the finish line. Carried them. You think of the multiple games last year he did it. The multiple games this year he's done it. Carried them. It's wild. That's why he's the first pick. Regardless, let's talk about Bama as a whole. They're just not well coached in certain spots. They're undisciplined. Like, when have you ever seen a Saban team that takes this many penalties? It's wild. When have you, like, here's another thing. Everyone's going batshit about wanting Bill O'Brien to be this next coach. Have you watched their offense? Okay. Sark and Kiffin did light years a better job than than B.O.B. Like, there's no question. It's been a train wreck with how they are schematically and how they try to make stuff happen. Outside of Bryce Young and Jameer Gibbs, they have no pros on that offense. Will Anderson on defense, him and Dallas Turner uh, are really their only viable, like, high-level pros. McKinstry's okay. Toa Toa is so fucking overrated. Their defense is slow as shit. And, like, are they going to lose to Ole Miss, too? That would be wild, but it could happen. They suck on the road. They've been terrible on the road for two straight years. And again, if it wasn't for Bryce finding ways and the fact that last year they had two all-world NFL like NFL type receivers on their team and Mechie and Williams and Will Anderson on defense, and this year you have Anderson again, and this year Jameer Gibbs has been able to, to kind of stable some of the brunt and Bryce Young is continuing to make magic plays like Alabama is a mess and this could be Nick Saban's last hurrah I don't know what else is going to happen but it is not good and the tides are turning for Bama when it comes to winning titles because after Bryce leaves boy Jalen Milrow is that where we're feeling with a bunch of non-pros, you could get away with that stuff. in the mid, Even in the mid-2010s, they did it with Jake Coker. You could get away with that stuff when you don't have legitimate, like, high-level NFL talent on your team outside of, like, Derrick Henry. And and you, had Cal, you did have Calvin Ridley as well. But, like, outside of that, you did not have much when it came to offensive talent that blew you away. Their defense, I believe, even that year just absolutely feasted on they feasted on defensive and special teams takeaways. They were ballers on the defensive side of the football. They had Jackson. Um, they were uh loaded. Ruben Foster. They were fucking disgusting on that defensive side of the ball that uh the, that that year or those couple years. So listen, man, I understand that. They've done it before, but even like since then, like with Jalen, who wasn't great his freshman year, they still had some NFL caliber dudes. They still had Calvin Ridley. They still had uh, their defense was still ridiculously loaded. But even but since then, 
you you add them up. They had Kenyon Drake, obviously, as well. You add it up with what they've had. Like when they had Tua, obviously they had Waddle, Smith, Ruggs. Um, who's the fourth one? I always forget the fourth one. Waddle, Smith, Ruggs. Oh, and Judy and Jerry Judy. They had that for multiple years. Then they get Mechie in there and then Williams in rotation with Najee Harris and all of these guys, Irv Smith at tight end. Like, dude, they you can't with average talent on offense and just the star quarterback, you have to have coaching and Bill O'Brien has not done a good job. You add that to the fact that they're undisciplined and Bama is the trajectory is low compared to a team like LSU and compared to a team as we move on, like the Georgia Bulldogs who are becoming the inevitable Alabama of college ball now. Listen, I didn't really have a read on this game. My biggest wonder was I thought Tennessee took advantage of Alabama's, as I just said, their slow back seven, their slow secondary, and they were able to hit their home runs off of that. I felt if Bama, or excuse me, if Georgia – could do what they could. Obviously, their defense, much faster. If they could find a way to get pressure, which they did. Jalen Carter was had himself a coming out party. Um, Jalen Carter earned himself millions of dollars on Saturday. That's for sure. With that performance against Tennessee, he was a savage. But I think with what their defense did, they forced Hooker to not be able to take these one-reach deep shots it exposed Hooker to a degree. Bad day for the Henry Hooker round one draft draft stock. I was feeling like that was a possibility. Then I saw someone make a great point on Twitter, and I was like, oh, you know what? That makes perfect sense. Um, perfect sense. I believe that as well. So talking about his only ability to read half the field, that's their entire offense. You're not going to be able to do that in the NFL. And I was like, oh, okay, I feel that, and I agree. So... Here is where I'm at with Georgia. You have the inevitability of them where it just seems like even if they play average and it does seem like they've been playing with their food. Now, I don't want that excuse for the Missouri game because they came out and they looked like shit and the offense was out of shape and they were in deep trouble. If Missouri had any resemblance of a way to actually move the ball to a degree, then Georgia would have been in deep shit, but they couldn't. They only were able to hit one or two big shots uh, in the in their offense. And then Georgia just continuously either fucked, o- fucked up in the red zone or turned it over. So that's how that game got so – or how that game was so close. But even the Florida game, they were up big, and then they started goofing off, and Florida came all the way back. But that one, like, that never felt close. This week, they come out, get on them early – Tennessee really can't get anything going. Look, I think Tennessee is somewhere in the top six, seven in the sport, but I do believe that there is a ceiling for them when you take them against a team like Georgia, because Georgia, even though I believe a team like Ohio State, even in Michigan this year with how they can play in certain spots, when Georgia showed that when they put their A game on, which we felt that at, at the beginning of the year when we were like, oh God, we thought... Bama and Ohio State would be good. Maybe Georgia's just going to win the title again. Georgia had that kind of dominant performance on Saturday, which was impressive. I want to take a quick break. We'll come back, and I want to talk 
some uh, full-picture college football playoff stuff real quick. For fantasy sake, has teamed up with Route 96 Boutique to raise a little more cash for Toys for Tots this season. From September 11th until the end of November, 10% off of all purchases made with Route 96 on Sundays will be donated to us for our Toys for Tots drive. At Route 96, they believe in girl power. They want a place that people of all shapes and sizes can shop and feel empowered and beautiful. They want you to be the best you possible, and they are committed to bringing you different styles while also providing some basics to express the true you. You can find them on Facebook and at Route96Boutique.com. Again, that's Route96Boutique.com. This episode is brought to you by The Corner Tap. Who doesn't need a solid handcuff on their fantasy squad? Grab a bite to eat at Clint's Draft House while watching the noon games, and then head on over across the Moline-Rock Island border to the corner tap for some libations during the 3 o'clock games. Every Sunday is fun day at the corner tap with $3 Tall Boys, Bloody Marys, Jack Daniels, and $2 PBR Drafts. Head into the corner tap, 4018 14th Avenue, Rock Island, and get into the end zone. You from the West, the podcast covering Illinois high school football. Weekly analysis and reaction from around the western side of the state of Illinois. This is the game we had circled when the year started. Follow along on YouTube and Twitter and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's big time football out there tonight and I know we can play big time football. You from the West, we got you covered. In addition to bringing fire on the mic, the team at For Frequency Sake is still bringing it online as well. Check out ForFantasySakeQC.com this season for college DFS, Survivor League, and betting advice each and every week of this football season. Again, that is ForFantasySakeQC.com for college DFS, Survivor League, and betting advice each week during the football season. Okay, sorry, we had a little extended break there. I was trying to, my phone is dumb sometimes. Just, you know, am I, this, I basically live in, like, <laughs> the, like, I don't even know how to say it. It's a, I'm not saying I live in a steel fortress. Because I don't. But I think it's because the house we got here is by the, this, like, ravine here. Um, and I'm guessing that's why the service here is kind of dog do- doggy doo doo. But regardless, that's where I'm at. So I just got like 20 texts at one sometime every now and then. Oh, it's a mess. Anywho, um, DJ Jarvis is going to listen to this and he's going to realize while I'm recording, I was sending him these tech, a big ass text message that I just got like eight texts from him at once. So hi, DJ. Miss you, buddy. All right, let's move on. I want to talk some big picture college football playoff stuff. Um, 
I guess this this will come out Tuesday morning ish. Hopefully, listen. So the the one that came out yesterday late, my fault. I got to do a better job of telling Doug to, uh, you know, that they're there for the morning. Um, that's on me. That is on me. At, by the way, I'm doing that right now, letting him know show will be on the website in the morning. So, you know, I'm doing that for him right now. So I know. But so this will come out Tuesday and the college football playoff rankings. Second one will come out Tuesday night. And I have some interesting thoughts on not inter- maybe interesting, but I just have a couple ideas on what I expect to happen, and then maybe a little foreshadowing for uh, the future. So let me get this pulled up. Obviously, Georgia should be number one. And the question mark will be between Michigan and Ohio State for two and three, and then who slots for between Tennessee, TCU, um, where does LSU end up fall or landing? How do you rank the Pac-12? What who uh how far does Clemson drop? Does Clemson still have an outside shot? Does anyone in the ACC like does North Carolina even still have a shot if they went out? Uh, I believe so, but we'll get to that in the in a moment. So, here are the playoff rankings uh, from last week. We had Tennessee won. Obviously, they lost. We had. Number two, we had Ohio State, and they looked like ass. Number three, we had Georgia. Number four, we had Michigan. No, number four, we had where'd it go? 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 I lost it. Damn it. Oh, the Division Three pull is out. Fun. No. Midwest Conference teams, even close to the top 25 in the uh, Division Three poll. This is the stuff I randomly find on my phone every now and then. I thought I was going to find the college football playoff rankings from last week. but So the AP poll came out. It's got some stuff that I maybe could be close to what I expected. So here's what I think will happen. Obviously, I think Georgia will go to one. The Michigan-Ohio State argument is real, and Ohio State has looked really bad. I will not be shocked if Michigan is ranked second. Should they be? I'd do it. I would do it. Show The com- the committee should show that they watch the games, even though they don't. They should do that to kind of put faith in, all right, even if you show that you play better, we're not just leaving you for a placeholder whether you win or loss. So, listen, like, <clears throat> you can be moved up and down depending on how you play. They, the only team they've ever done that with is fucking Florida State. The first year of the playoff. Um, just stupid. Anywho, so after that, I think you'll obviously go Georgia, then Michigan, Ohio State, or Ohio State, Michigan. I think Michigan, Ohio State, but regardless. Then after that, TCU better be fucking fourth. Here's what I'm saying. If they just let Tennessee be fourth, I don't know. Listen, TCU has the resume that deserves to be fourth, even though there is a chance on Friday when you hear the Sinister Six, we are going to be fading the shit out of them Um, regardless. So TCU will be fourth. Tennessee will be fifth or the other way around. 
Oregon will probably be sixth, then LSU seventh. If LSU is ahead of Oregon, I will probably piss my pants. Um, here's the one thing that you will probably have the interesting kind of fallout. Who, how does the Pac-12, how does that come, you know, how does the Pac-12 get into the playoff? How does this end up shaking out? Because, listen, Clemson has lost now. There's a chance they could still run the table and get in. I don't think that'll happen. What if North Carolina runs the table and wins out and goes to the win, go finishes as a one loss power five champ. What are the odds? Tennessee can slide back in to the college football playoff race. I don't think Tennessee should get in at this rate, barring some chaos. I believe that the power fives, you know, um, this is where it's going to get tricky. There is a world where Ohio state and Michigan make the playoff. Uh, if Michigan beats Ohio state, then Ohio state has a chance to still get in at the fourth spot, probably. Cause there's no way in hell. And that would, they'd be able to get away with that. Cause there's no way in hell they'd rank Michigan ahead of, there's no way in hell they'd rank Michigan ahead of Georgia. So it'd go Georgia, Michigan, third place team, whether it be, um, TCU, if they go undefeated, Oregon, USC, or UCLA, whoever won the Pac-12, Tennessee, which would be bold, or Ohio State, or, or, uh, or you know, like Clemson, uh, some, some sort of combination like that, North Carolina even. Those are the only kind of logistical options I see. That would be in that spot if we got the two Big Ten teams. I think if Ohio State beat Michigan, there's no path for Michigan to make the playoff because it's one of those situations where your non-conference schedule was so fucking bad. You dodged UCLA, which would have been your only legitimate, you know, competition in UCL in all non-conference scheduling that you cannot get the benefit of the doubt where you have your toughest game finally and you lose. So I think Michigan has to win out to get in. Obviously I think Ohio state, the dumbest thing ever, the quality loss, whatever there, that's kind of the only loss and get in scenario outside of Georgia. Losing a sec title game to LSU. Maybe, maybe, you know, that's bold. Still, Pac-12 odds. Um, I think the Pac-12, as long as Oregon, UCLA, or USC went out from here, which means they would all finish 12-1, and whoever does that, I think that will be the team that goes to the playoff. There is a great chance that that Friday night, it would be December 2nd, at uh, I believe it's at SoFi or it's either at SoFi or Vegas or in um or in Vegas. I'm not sure which one. I think it's might be actually it might be Vegas. Uh, which this will be sick. There's a night. There's a really good chance where Oregon versus the winner of USC UCLA is basically a playoff quarterfinal game, which is awesome. I will give this Oregon as hard as it is for me to think. They are deserving of a shot considering they would probably get in and face the team 
that they lost 49 to three week one against. I think it's fair and you have to do this. It is fair to say a team improved over the year. Now, would they get beat again by Georgia? Probably. Would they be two or three score dogs against Georgia again? Absolutely. But you have to say, or you ha- like you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't say this. Oregon is is much much improved. Dan Lanning's been a great coach. Bo Nix, ha- I know every week we're waiting for Bo Nix to have his oh shit he's Bo Nix moment, but Bo Nix has been really good this year. Their defense has been good. They've been impressive. They know what they are and they do stuff very well. USC is a weird team. I would think I like they at their best. They have the superstardom. To get there, there's a shot that they can get there. Even if they lose to UCLA or get to the Pac-12 title game and lose to Oregon and don't make the playoff, this is still a banner year for USC. They are back on so many levels. I would not be shocked if when USC and UCLA play, UCLA beat them. UCLA is very physical. Their running game is amazing. Dorian Thompson-Robinson has been really good. I would not be shocked if UCLA made the playoff. I would I think they are a sensational team and DTR has been playing great. Their defense is good. They're good up front. They just played. They had some poor stuff happen in that Oregon game on the road. You know, I think they would absolutely have a shot if they, you know, they get they get to run it back with Oregon on a neutral site. That would be very important. And I do think, like, I believe when they play USC, they're going to be favored. They are absolutely a nightmare matchup for how USC operates. So that's how I think the Pac-12 works out. If I had to actually guess what I think will happen, I know I'm going to contradict a little of what I just said. Here's what I would predict. Georgia the one, Ohio State the two. God damn. How the fuck? Okay. Georgia the one. Ohio State the two. Both of them are winning out. Both of them are going undefeated to the playoff. And then from there. Pac-12 champ is getting in. USC would be my pick right now. Um, it's that is a whole vibes play. And Tennessee might make it, guys. Tennessee, here's my here's the case for Tennessee. Here's the only way I can allow it. God damn, you better beat the brakes off Missouri, South Carolina, and Vandy. By 40 each. Like no issues. That's their this is their problem with how what like the schedule they have played. They don't end the year with anybody, you know, with an umph game, you know? So how how penalized are they gonna be from and here's the issue, man. It's not like they look competitive against Georgia, but there's a world that Tennessee is going to pretty much already have earned. 
Like the fact that they lost to Georgia is going to benefit them more considering Bama lost a second time. Clemson has lost now. Like there is just a world that exists where because and here's the thing. I think TCU, even if they don't lose to Texas, they're going to lose at some point. The, the, the fact that this just like Tennessee lost now and there's still a month left, three weeks or whatever left it is. Like that's just a huge benefit to them almost. And they're just going to kind of be there, you know, but maybe like, even if TCU loses it, like unless like TCU wins the big 12 with only one loss, (sighs) here's the thing, man. If fucking Texas didn't lose that game to Oklahoma state, they'd be in it. They would be absolutely in it with a two loss big 12 champion, Texas, with both of their losses being non-Quinn Ewers games, would have made the playoff. But I digress. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We have our Elite Eight next. Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Sake on Facebook, at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at ForFantasySakeQC at gmail.com. All right, we are back. Let's get it. The Elite Eight for the NFL week number nine. Number eight. Oh, Jordan Ringle, I'm sorry, but the Minnesota Vikings. So the Vikings still are the world's least impressive team. Um, at seven and one, and the I, I picked them to be this good. I bet they're. I, I predicted they're over. I said they'd win the NFC North. I even predicted them to be the one seed in the NFC, which it looks like it's like they're only a game back. So it's not the craziest thing in the world. Um, here's the thing with Minnesota: like you watch them, and they just don't. Nothing they do is like vindicated. They fall, like. So they they fall ass backwards into a win against Detroit, down a couple of scores because a missed Detroit field goal. Campbell goes for, for it on fourth down. Detroit uh, misses both. The Vikings are able to come down and win. They fall ass backwards into surviving against Chicago. Uh, Chicago's balling in the second half. It's a seven-point game. Chicago's moving down the field. The entire vibe is the Bears are going to score, then go for two and either win or just miss it regardless. But then the Smith-Marset dude fucking gets stripped and fumbles and wooda wooda, and the Vikings win. And it's like, holy shit, the Bears goofed up. The Vikings just kind of survived. And then last week, it's 17-all. The Vikings have a chance to punch it in to go up a touchdown. They don't. It's fourth down. The the commanders do just some dumb play. It gives Minnesota a first down, so they're able to milk the clock. The commanders never get a chance to to get the ball back. Uh, Minnesota doesn't score a touchdown. Like they just win these games in weird ways, and they're not they're just not vindicating. You know what I mean? I think the Vikings can be good, but at the end of the day, it's like, are we gonna believe they're either gonna play? Like 
the Niners, the Seahawks, something like that, the playoffs, and we're not going to feel that great about it, even though the teams are going to have to go through Minnesota early on in the postseason. They've got the NFC North all but wrapped up. Now, here's what I will say. They do got to go to Chicago, to Detroit, to Green Bay, still in the division. That is tough. Um, so we'll see. And they here's here's another thing. They play the Bills this Sunday, which it's ooh, there's some shaky stuff on Buffalo. We'll talk about them here in a moment. But uh if they can somehow beat the Bills, depending if the Bills are at full strength, pray that they're at full strength, then that would be impressive. Or if they can hang with them, that would make me feel good about it. Right now, nothing the Vikings do is vindicating, and I feel like if Big Josh plays on Sunday and he's got anything, I think there's a chance they could ragdoll the Vikings, and then I would even feel worse about them. Number seven, the Seattle Seahawks. Here's a team that has shown vindication in their wins. They're dominant in some in some aspects. They make you pay for mistakes. They're able to overcome their own mistakes. They run the ball well. We've already gone in depth about the – you know, how you can solve your problems in one draft. They've got two corners, two tackles, an edge rusher, a running back, all in one draft, and they've been dominant with the with those guys. Geno Smith continues to make plays. Um, the only thing that you worry about, really, with this team is health and the possibility of Geno. I don't know. Like, we've gone past the point of him turning into a pumpkin, as we've said. But I think, you know, I will say this. A, f- a full pendulum swinging moment in this game. It wasn't a bad pick six by any means. It was a great play by Isaiah Simmons, but Gino throws a pick six and that could have been, you know, where it all went to shit, but instead the Seahawks come right back. They go right back down the field and score a touchdown. And from there they beat the shit out of Arizona. So that was a real watershed moment for Seattle, but, um, and I was very impressed Seahawks at seven. Number six, the Niners, mainly be, not only because when we saw them play Seattle, they've killed them, which I think it'd be closer and a little bit different now if they played again. Plus, the Niners have to go to Seattle later in the year, I think on a Monday night. So I'm excited when that'll happen again. I think the Niners are continuing to get healthy. The bye week this week, we saw how good they were with McCaffrey on a week ago against the Rams. Uh, I am not selling my Niners stock at all. I believe in this team right now with everything that's going on, as long as they can continue to tread some water and just be there in the end, this team's going to be dangerous. Number five, the Miami Dolphins. Excuse me. Sorry about that. I already know the first thing I'm, I already got this last week. It's like, Oh, why do you have like the Vikings behind the Dolphins? The Dolphins lost to the Vikings because it's not standings. It's not power rankings. It's not who beat who, even though I know I just said the Niners over Seattle showed up, but regardless, this is ranked. This is, you know, you know, you could say it's power rankings, whatever, but this is my elite eight. This is where they think the best. This is why I think the best eight teams in the league are. If you want to do your own list, do your own podcast. I appreciate you listening. You know, and it's okay if you disagree with me. That's okay. Just have a good reason for it. And here's the thing with the Dolphins. People want to make all these dumb reasons about the Dolphins because they don't like to. Uh, uh, they don't like this or that about the organization. And I understand. I understand some stuff. Um, and this is not a shot at my friend Nick Pearson um, at all, even though I definitely made the case. Like his reasoning for hating the Dolphins, I get and I understand. But there's just some people that bug me with their – they don't. They want to think Tua like the the Dolphins can't be good because Tua is their quarterback. 
when if Tua plays the whole game against the Bengals, then plays the Jets and the Vikings, they probably only lose one of those games. They're seven and one. Tua's numbers, when you add it all up, he's he's the easily, easily the front-running MVP candidate right now with his numbers and what they'd be. Okay? Like, that's just facts. Um, You also have the fact Tyree Kill, I listen, Micah Parsons has been the best defensive player in the league this year by far. Offensively, by far, the best player in the league this year has been Tyree Kill. Okay? He has gone to Miami. He is making all these plays. The schematics are doing wonders for him. He's going to come close or break Calvin Johnson's record, and he might do it in 16 games. Things I want Miami to improve on. Can they not allow? Listen, Justin Fields, we've said how great he is. Obviously, we did that the, uh, yesterday, but can they not allow a scrambling quarterback to torch them like that again? That'd be great. Um, maybe that I, – I, it's more likely that what Justin did was a one-of-one one performance – but, God, there's a chance they got to play Baltimore again, man. Not good. They play the Bills again in a couple months or in a month or so. Not good. So, hopefully the defense can can get a little bit better. I think the Bradley Chubb move is going to work dividends in his limited snaps. He forced some havoc. He didn't make too many plays because Fields was on an absolute heater on Sunday. He was sensational. We've, we've discussed that at length. Go listen to yesterday's show. But, um, I mean, Melvin Ingram has still been awesome. And Jalen Phillips is just great. So, I think what they can do is you can have Ingram and Chubb be stand-up guys. You can move Phillips to the inside since they run kind of a 3-4 style defense. You could do stuff to have all three of them out there with Christian Wilkins on, like, main pass rushing downs. So, I like the combination of stuff that they can do defensively. Uh, they just got to hopefully get a little healthier in the secondary and they'll weed some stuff out when it comes to how they defend some things. Uh, lastly, real quick, they did get torched a bit against Chicago and Detroit, but late in the game, the defense made some adjustments, made stuff harder on them. Lions didn't score a second half point. Bears in the fourth quarter outside of the uh, – they didn't score a drive. They didn't score on a drive that started in the fourth quarter. Good job by the Dolphins' defense to adjust throughout the game. Number four, the Dallas Cowboys. This is obviously just kind of prisoner of the bye week. Um, nothing to move them up nor down. No great performances to move them down. Uh, no watershed horrendous performances that move to, to find them their way to bump up. Uh, uh, we, all the superlatives about Dallas have been said. Very important game for them on Sunday against Green Bay. Even though Green Bay is in the Red X Club, they are in the your season. You are on uh, making plans for Cancun. You are making reservations for a beach house in Jamaica uh, for the offseason. That's the place the Packers are living in. Dallas needs to go to Glambo and handle business on Sunday like a good team like them should do. I think they will because I think their defensive front is going to give the Packers absolute hell. But I say all that to say I want to continue to see the improvement of the offense with the stuff they've been doing with Dak. I want to see how they schematically do things against other teams. Like they were, they did a good job of utilizing crossing routes and the intermediate plays to take advantage of the Bears' slow defense. They ran the ball on them well. What are they going to do to take advantage of other teams' weaknesses? So I want to see the, the Packers play a lot of soft zone. So I want to see what Kellen Moore and them 
do. They've had this bye week to prepare. I want to see that offense humming on Sunday in Lambeau. All right, now we got to get to our change at the top. Number three, the Buffalo Bills. They fall from one to three. The lose, the loss to the Jets. It's not inexcusable. We can't expect them to go all the way and win win every game. Woo woo. But here's my biggest concern. Number one, Josh Allen did not play well. Number two. Their offensive line got ate alive by the Jets' defensive line. Number three, Josh Allen might be hurt. Here is the thing. So right now, they are doing tests on him and, you know, doing MRIs to check to see if Allen has any structural damage to his UCL. What does that mean? It means he could have have a Tommy John injury, which is an injury that you see baseball pitchers get. What? How did he almost get that? So the end of the game, he had that weird play where he got strip sacked and his arm just did a, it just had a weird, nasty bend to it. And then he was flexing his hand. He was, you know, moving his arm uh, in a weird way. And, uh, you know, and I, he Obviously was in some pain, so I, I'm not shocked that they're ending up getting stuff looked at. Uh, hopefully he's okay, man. He's a great talent, and God, it would be awful for the Bills if he had to get long-term surgery done. I think, just kind of guessing here, I think there's a world, like, probably it's more of a strain, if anything, because, I mean, how on Like, if he actually tore it and then threw that 70-yard dot, that Gabe Davis fucking dropped uh, at the end of the game on Sunday. You know, if that was the case, then that's marvelous. But I don't know. Um, things we need to see the Bills improve on. We need to see them hand the ball off to guys like James Cook, Devin Singletary. They got Naeem Hines now off the deadline. They need to hand the ball off more and not rely on Josh Allen to be their entire running offense. Okay. I understand, you know. You see Justin Fields being not he obviously Justin Fields. You look at the Bears. Now, these are two different teams totally, but I'm just saying like you kind of look at what the Bears are doing in the quarterback run game lately, and it looks exactly like how the Bills run their quarterback run game stuff with Josh Allen. The it, the pro, the difference is the Bears can still turn around and hand the football off to David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. Now, are either are any of the Bills running backs as good as Montgomery or Herbert? probably not. Um, I don't think so, but turn the ball over around, turn around and hand the ball to cook Singletary and Hines. So you don't have to keep putting the ball in harm's way. And they're at the end of the day too. Allen knows he played bad. Their offensive line got eight alive by the jets defensive line. Who is really good. Um, it's more of a one-off than anything, but man, they have played six straight kind of average quarters, uh, after the first two against Green Bay, these are all. This is all off the bye after beating Kansas City. They were due for a little bit of a lull, but man, they have just been very weird as of late. So we'll see if jo- maybe Josh is okay. Hopefully, Josh is okay, and then you know they come out Sunday against the against the uh, Vikings, and he just absolutely shreds them. That would be the perfect world, but we'll see. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. We mentioned the red flags with the Chiefs. We've mentioned how the stuff that happens with them, we really worry about how they cannot run the football. The, a lot of their 
Numbers defensively against certain stats are misleading. All of those things. But as long as you have Andy, and as long as you have 15, you've got a pretty damn good chance. Um, I'm in, I'm really intrigued to see how that Jags matchup goes because the Jags D-line is good, and their own line has been impressive. So, like, can Jacksonville move the ball? Can they can they do enough to, to make the Chiefs struggle a bit on offense? What kind of schematics can the Chiefs do against the Jags defense? I'm really excited to see how that matchup kind of goes. Uh, it's going to be a very – like right now, if I had to pick anyone to win the title, it would be the Chiefs. But at the end of the day, almost all of these teams right now have flaws – and they're not answering those questions as well as we would like them to. But the reason that there's a new number one team, and if you're listening to the podcast, which you should be, and you're still here, you're gonna and you've been begging me to, to put the Eagles one, they're starting to answer some questions. And the Philadelphia Eagles are number one. They're undefeated. And it's not just because they're undefeated. But they're answering certain questions. Uh, they continue to just do their job and do what they do on offense, which we knew that was the case. Also, there was this weird thing that they've had this year where they were good in first half, and in the second half, they just kind of existed. The last two weeks, more so this Thursday night game, they put them away in that second half. It was close. It was tied at halftime. The second half came out. They put the Texans away in the second half. And I also don't I don't care that they didn't cover against the Texans. Like, you just got to get out of dodge with those games. Jalen Hurts has really been playing well, and he continues to not put the ball in harm's way, which is the biggest thing. Um, there's some tape stuff with him that you've seen that you can see where he makes great decisions. He does force it to certain spots, but like He's still at even when he's forcing it, he's not putting it in harm's way. He's just trying to get the ball to what he believes is a more explosive option. Like a couple of moments is it, moments uh, in the Steelers game. He was forcing it a little bit to Brown that he completed, but he missed some underneath guys that were open or other options that were open. So I don't mind him forcing those things as long as he's not putting the ball in harm's way. So what I just listen, I am very impressed with how the Eagles continue to just stride along and do their thing, and I am more bought into the Eagles, honestly, after the Texans game, where instead of going into, like, they didn't have the option to go into this weird neutral state and just kind of coast the game away, the Texans played well and showed fight, but the Eagles made adjustments. They bowed up defensively. Their O-line continued to maul the Texans up front. They moved the ball. Jalen was efficient. Like, that's the thing, man. At the end of the day, the Eagles are efficient, and that is what impresses me the most about this group, and they deserve to be number one right now, especially after the Chiefs looked very average for three quarters, three and three quarters and 75% of the fourth against the Titans, you know, like 3.875 quarters against the Titans, and the Bills looked like wet dog shit against the Jets. The Eagles absolutely deserve to be one. And will they be number one until proven otherwise? I don't know. 
if Buffalo comes out and beats Minnesota like 49 to 6, maybe I'll, I probably would put the Bills back at one. The Chiefs came out and beat the Jags by a billion. You know, but who knows? The Eagles could come out Sun Monday and beat Washington by a thousand also. So there's a lot of different ways that the, there's a million different ways to skin this cat. But I have been telling you the the gap between the Bills and Chiefs and then the Eagles has been closing over the last couple weeks since the Bills and Chiefs played each other. Do I believe the Eagles are in that same tier, even though I have them ranked first when it comes to winning a championship? No, not yet. But they are, again, they are inching closer and closer. And at the end of the day, here's the thing. If the Eagles get there, they absolutely got as good of a shot as anybody fucking else to win the title. We'll take a break. Wrap things up next. This episode is brought to you by The Corner Tap. Who doesn't need a solid handcuff on their fantasy squad? Grab a bite to eat at Clint's Draft House while watching the noon games and then head on over across the Moline-Rock Island border to The Corner Tap for some libations during the 3 o'clock games. Every Sunday is fun day at The Corner Tap with $3 Tall Boys, Bloody Marys, Jack Daniels, and $2 PBR Drafts. Head into The Corner Tap. 4018 14th Avenue, Rock Island, and get into the end zone. Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Sake on Facebook, at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at ForFantasySakeQC at gmail.com. All right, Elite Eight, as we said, number eight, uh, the Vikings, uh, number eight, the Vikings, seventh, Seattle, sixth, the Niners, fifth is the Dolphins, fourth, the Cowboys, third, the Bills, second, the Chiefs. And first, the Eagles. So, um, let's see what we got here. Um, what in the world just happened? Oh, God. Huh. Okay. Anyway. So, yeah, that's going to do it. I just saw a funny thing on Twitter that caught me off guard. Um, we'll be back Friday, Sinister Six. Um, Mac and I will be here. Hopefully, we can get Mac some wins. I am excited because we will have uh, six new games. Try to continue this run we're on. Eight and four over our last 12. We are rolling. We are on fire as we we're heating up. I should say we are heating up as we go to the home stretch. I want to thank you all for listening as always. Um, like, share, subscribe if whatever platform you're on, follow, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Tell a friend, all that good stuff. We appreciate it more than you know. This has been your boy, Joe the Show, the Educated Ignorance Podcast. If you ain't got your game, remember. You best pass the sticks until next time. We'll see you 
on Friday. Sinister Six. Peace.